As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, it's now officially, officially, officially over. Uh, we weren't sure that we would get to this point, Drancer, this early, this late. I'm not sure. I mean, we were still hanging on. Uh, but here we are. They're finally out of the playoffs. We're not ready to do a postmortem quite yet. But we knew this day was coming. It was just a case of what. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I think we need to certainly start, right? We certainly need to discuss what's next, what needs to happen next for this team. You know, one comment that I really liked post-game last night was Bruce Boudreaux was talking about, and look, I hate the word culture, typically speaking, when applied by organizations i feel like gms just like throw it out there and people are like yeah you know like it means something else to everybody so you can't disagree with it you know it's one of those like completely nebulous meaningless buzzwords Uh, unfortunately it's become that in hockey it's it's unanalytics not data driven no but it's not even about data it's 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 about like when i say culture what does that mean to you you know like you need to you need to have a definitional agreement within an organization on what you're even talking about. And you can tell when a GM or an executive does when they're talking about like specific player types. And it sounds the way that Ian Clark does when he talks about goaltending. And you know that like every word is thought through, every definition means something versus the way that general managers talk down to fans and are just like culture. And people are like, yay. You know, it's like you can like, Listen to Julian Brisbois talk about player development and like what you want in a bolt, and you can just tell that like every word is there's like 20 other people in the organization who knows exactly what he's talking about when he talks about XYZ. Or, you know, you like you need to agree, you need to have a definition. It's not enough to just use the word, otherwise it's empty. Anyway, Boudreaux, 
when he explained to us what he means when he talked about culture, which is that winning is the only thing that matters, right? That to him is what he cares about. Winning is the only thing that matters. He wants his players to conduct themselves that way. That's the standard he wants them to hold themselves to. Winning, 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 winning. That's it, winning. And, you know, it reminded me of something that I watched on Winning Time. Have you watched Winning Time yet? I've not, no. Uh, there's this scene where the Dr. Jerry Buss, the late Dr. Jerry Buss, I talked about this a little bit on Connects Hour, so if people are listening to both of us, um, uh, both of those podcasts, they'll, the, this is a little repetitive, but the commentary from Dr. Jerry Buss is talking to Red Auerbach, the legendary Celtics coach, right? And he's, you know, Celtics coach is sort of telling him why he's not scared of him and that he's not a competitor, really, that he's not in his league. And, um, and Dr. Jerry Buss says, no, you know, I think I can win this. And he says, championships aren't won, they're taken by men like me who will rip your heart out and not lose a moment's sleep just for the chance to put another banner in the rafters, right? And it's like, that's the mentality that I'd love to see this organization adopt in a more sort of wholesale way. And I think one that we can fairly say, I mean, the skate jersey being debuted this week for the final two home games like, there's no chance. Bruce Boudreaux said he didn't even know about it. Like, it's not like the players were working in gear for weeks beforehand like they were for the one that was pre-planned. You know what I mean? Like, all of a sudden, we show up and practice, everyone's in black. All of a sudden, the team's wearing their secondary uh, or their ter- third jersey in two home games, like, just out of nowhere. Not planned. Clearly, just, like, last-minute organizational, um, you know, reeling to figure out something special to do in the last two games. I'd assume ticket sales not great. Certainly wasn't a full house last night. And, you know, it's not a huge thing, but it's like players care a lot about their gear. They spend a lot of time getting it ready. It's not a player-centric move, right? It's like in a boardroom, someone's like, whoa, what, what are our big ideas? Like, let's wear the skate. Like, okay. You know, it's just like, come on, come on. And it's just like those rescheduled games, right? It's like the way that everything happened during the pandemic with, staff reductions and you know just a complete lack of off cap spending in the in the uh, 2021 season but also in general uh aging facilities lack of a practice facility despite it being in the works for a decade um you know you go on and on down the list Boudreaux and Quinn Hughes talked about how within the room they think they made progress in the second half of the season building that winning culture and you hope so you hope so but it needs to be, you know, uniform, not just within the room, not just the players you see on the ice, but throughout an organization at every level. And I think that's been one thing that's been holding this team back. I think you could say it held them back this year, like especially with those rescheduled dates that so annoyed you, right? Yeah, there's no question. Uh, Wags, uh, Daniel Wagner talked about it in an article earlier in the week. And look, there's so many flaws with this team, but I got news for you. The Dallas Stars suck, and the suck. Dallas Stars are going to the playoffs. Yeah, right. So, so teams that are ordinary can get in the playoffs, and the Canucks could have gotten in the playoffs despite all their flaws. Right. See, and I would, I would spin this though and look at it as like the Canucks. Canucks are subordinary. They're worse than that. Well, r- regardless, like we, you know, again, by <laughs> saying this was a scheduling issue, I'm not letting the team as constructed off the hook. Is my point, right? Yeah. Um, and they made a decision early on that they wanted to play in front of full houses and there were two games essentially that they chose to have rescheduled. Now that was while the team was on a roll and 
going into a really daunting road trip. So if you play those two games, someone said, what are you talking about? Your math is bad. It's only four points. Well, no, it's not four points because if you play those two games, not only are you playing those two games in a more, much more winnable situation, you are then putting the team in a much better preparation level going into the trip. And now you're putting them in a better position now when the games are compressed to make up for those two games. So it's not just the two games and when they were played, but it's the impact those two games had they been played when they should have been played, what that could have done for the road trip then and the schedule now. I mean, it could have made a six-point difference for this team. Like, very plausibly, it could have made a six-point difference for this team. And it didn't because there was some short-term thinking associated with how we need to make sure we get this money. And you could have had that money in the form of playoff dates if you'd handled it a little differently. No guarantee you would have, but it's certainly not ridiculous to think your team would have been in a better position to be prepared at that moment and in this moment. And they chose not to because of short-term thinking. That's bad culture. And, and, yeah, and, yeah. and to say this, I am not at all critical that the owners wanted to maximize revenue. It's not my money. It's their money. They're allowed to want to maximize revenue. But there's, there was different ways to think about how you want to do that. They, ter- they took short-term thinking, much like they did during the, uh, the previous offseason, right, when they weren't going to spend. And, you know, you talked about them being a, a bottom 10 cash-out team. Um, short-term thinking. Because now you're having to clean that mess up and the residual cultural effects of the statement made by the organization back then and how it's affecting you today. Yeah, well, and so, look, the Canucks played pretty well. I mean, they played really well in the first, and then there was clearly an emotional letdown from realizing they'd been eliminated early in the second period. And you saw it. I mean, you saw all these frustration penalties and an unsportsmanlike penalty from JT Miller that I bet had nothing to do with the game and everything to do with not going to the playoffs in a career year. And, you know, on and on. And it kind of spitballed and they let the Kraken briefly back in the game. But not really. There was no drama last night. We all knew that Vancouver was going to win. Hey, I want to tell our listeners. So you were looking for a place in Vegas to watch the game and I recommended you go to Circa Sports Bar which is, has one of the biggest TVs in the world theater seating and they th- throw a whole bunch of games and you did find it right yeah so I'm, I'm with my buddy Orlando uh, Dos Santos who's uh, now got a cushy vice principal job here in Vegas I uh, told him I'd give him a shout out because he's a big fan of yours and can't understand why people don't like you um, <laughs> very so kind of but but now I've given him a reason yeah so so transfer says go to go to this place called Circa massive TV so we went sure enough TV was massive. We got the game put on. No problem. The food was terrible. First of all, so you, you, you've got to order it from one of two restaurants that then brings it to you. They bring it to you in takeout boxes. So you, you can't even get like a, you know, a properly presented meal. They bring it to you in takeout boxes. So we think we're going to be here three hours. Uh, you know, let's start with some nachos, right? Uh, you know, peasant food as, as I tend to eat. And it came, and you know how, you, rather than melted cheese, it was cheese sauce, like in like in, like in BC <laughs> like place. 7-Eleven. Yeah, yeah, it was it was, it was Seven Eleven nachos. That's what we had. Seven <laughs> Eleven nachos, and yeah, and then the menus were so lame. Like we basically had a burger and waffle fries because there weren't many other options. Uh, it was it was bad. So don't recommend that to anybody else. The TV well, portion of it, and if you want to bet, all of that's TV, good. But make sure you show, make sure fairness, you show up fed. In fairness, the only thing I recommended was the TV. 
Yeah, but I told you I was going for dinner. Come on. You recommended some other restaurants first. And I said, look, out of out of respect to the VIPs, right? Like you told me to go yeah. get some veal and everything. I'm like, no, out of respect <laughs> to the VIPs, I owe it to the VIPs, knowing I'm doing a podcast the next day, to not make shit up as I go. I need to watch the game. <laughs> right? So Well, I'm sorry. I'm I'm glad the TV delivered though. That's like a that's like a pilgrimage TV spot for me. Well, clearly um, the food was delivered too, and it was takeout. It was bad. Don't ever eat there, VIPs. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Okay. But but the TV was the TV worth it? Yeah. The only problem is they're not going to put the Canucks Seattle game on one of the three big middle screens with the audio, right? Like you had to be on the smaller screens up top or bottom. But uh, that's okay. It was still something you could watch clearly, and the, the whole spectacle of that was impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's you know my so. Take my TV recommendations, not my food recommendations. We've learned something today. Um, <laughs> anyway. That was the right turn off of culture, by the way. <laughs> the, yeah. The game was never in doubt, even though the Canucks, even though it became a one goal game. Like, I never felt like the Canucks were going to lose that. Uh, and I to your point, we saw, like, they had the audio up on the Vegas game. And so it was literally minutes after that game got tied and where it was headed. And then all of a sudden, the, the, the Canucks give up two quick goals. Yeah, and that was an emotional letdown period. Like I don't I don't think anything I think the Canucks were cruising to a 5-0 win and if Vegas had won in regulation they would have done exactly that. Um but that's not how it played out and you know now now the challenge is to keep your compete level high for the two games um you know the two games that you've got remaining against the Oilers and against the LA Kings on Thursday and Friday. So uh, you know, not not going to be easy. And and look, the biggest takeaway from the game for me was Spencer Martin gets another reliable NHL start. And so, you know, I like that. Um, I like that. Uh, I like that he played well. I think that matters a ton because we saw with Demko and then UC Soros, right? One of the two goaltenders in the league who played more often than Demko did this year gets injured right at the end you know like you gotta you gotta manage these guys workloads you don't want to be top you don't want your starter to be among the top three in games played you really don't you really want him to be at 60 games is sort of a max for me so they're gonna need more starts from martin the fact that he was competent yes against a relative relatively pop gun offensive team i think matters a ton and now you've got this back-to-back and likely no demko likely no halak and you don't want to, I don't think, start Spencer Martin back to back, especially considering you're counting on him to go on a run in Abbotsford. So there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack here and navigate. And um, and you know, I feel for Bruce Boudreau because these games don't these games don't matter, and yet winning is all that matters in his own formulation. And you know, Vancouver's options with no Demko and Halak, and and I mean, if you're reluctant to run out Martin in back to backs. Are, are slim. It's not great. So two two things on that. I want to get into winning, and I want to talk about goaltending. Um, how bad was Seattle's goaltender last night? Like freaking horrible from start to finish. Yeah, I mean, Sheldon Dry's goal, short side from out there. Even JT Miller, yeah, nice shot, but forty no, feet he, out. But he wasn't close. He wasn't. The goaltender wasn't close on that JT Miller shot. But that's on the goaltender. Yeah, no, like, he was. was so late to react, and then the Luke Shen goal, like. How do you not stop that? Like it flips over your stick and Shen's able to come in and pat, like the Canucks could have lost that game easily because even when the third period started, they were on their heels. They were checked out. And and again, it wouldn't have mattered at the end of the day because they were out of the playoffs. But 
it took a Luke Shen horrible goal by the goaltender to get the Canucks back on top and get a comfortable lead and, a, and ultimately a comfortable win. And, you know, you've talked about that earlier this year, that one of the big things that separated that expansion team from the other one was this one didn't have the goaltending to function its way through average offense. Yeah, I mean, for sure. For sure, the Seattle goaltending was was weak. It was points night for the Canucks, and they went out and got their points and, you know, took over, ultimately. Uh, one going away. They won going away. You know, and again, the result was never in doubt despite the emotional letdown. Um, but they were they but they're eliminated for the sixth time in seven years, and that's tough. I mean, you think about Bruce Boudreaux, who's been around for fifteen years in this league, and he's missed the playoffs three times, only once when he started the season with the team that missed. Yeah, it's incredible. And the Canucks have missed six of the last seven. You know, like it's it's unbelievable. Six of seven losses is hard to do in a salary capped league that rewards failure. And he talked about winning, but he also said that even if you don't play well, or even if you don't play good, to quote, uh, as long as you win, you know, you can you can fix the rest, which is very counter to many of the points you've made during this run of 31, 15, and 5, that even when they've went, won, like they haven't played well and it hasn't been sustainable, and you're very much a process-driven guy. Well, and but that's, it's, that's diff- it's a difference in... Uh, stakes and jobs and worldview you know like my goal my goal is to act accurately capture team quality and analyze teams on that basis and in particular analyze the canucks on that basis to determine what i think should happen next what 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 the plan should be to get them to the mountaintop right like that's that's how i cover this team bruce boudreau is judged off of wins and losses he's results driven he's a coach he doesn't care about the forest he cares about every individual tree like that's how it should be well i don't yes have a problem no, I, I don't i don't completely I don't agree with that I, I don't have a problem you don't agree with that no i think coaches should be process based right i mean like i i think that that's how coaches yeah their 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 employment is based on wins and losses but your ability to have sustained employment should be based on the other part right like as a coach you need to be really wary of where your team is truly at and not to be fooled because if you get fooled, you're going to get burned. It's just a matter of when. See, I, I disagree with that. I think that's for the manager. I think there. I think that's for the manager. I think the. I think you want your coach to just be like, okay, two points every night. Let's figure it out. Let's find find a way. Like that's what I want from my coach. I don't want my like. I don't ever want a coach, even if I'm tanking. I don't want the coach to be tanking. I want the coach to be like, okay, let's try and play with structure. Let's keep the effort level high. You know, let's be a bunch of tryhards who steal some points from teams on nights they're off. Like, let's grind out as many as we can. You know, I want to work a game. Like, if I want a management situation, even in a t- even in a situation where you want to lose, I don't want I don't want it to be like a Flores situation in Miami. I want the coach to be trying to win, and and I want the GM to be working against him, basically. Like that's how I think it. That's that's how I think it should work. I want the coach to just be focused on getting two points every night. That's the whole. That's what. That's what I. That's what I want. In like, that's part for me of healthy process. To be totally honest with you. Yeah, but before a game, that's how you prepare. There's no question. But when you're assessing and analyzing your team, you tend to want to be a little more realistic so you can hold players reasonably accountable, right? Like, oh. absolutely, you got a horrible team, or you've got an injured team, or you've got a reeling team, or whatever, and you find ways to get greasy road wins or whatever it happens to be. Like, you know, we get that. That 
first win against the Leafs where they were completely outclassed on every level, but they still found a way to win, right? Like that's what you want your coach to approach on a short-term basis, but your coach also has to be completely aware of what's really around him. Well, sure, but, you know, and I don't think Boudreaux's not. I just don't think Boudreaux's going to show us that. Sure. Yeah, you know I what I mean. You. I mean, I don't. I don't think like I keep poking at him. If you go listen, I, I asked this question about, um, you know, you've gone to these more veteran situations in Anaheim and Minnesota and Washington, and you know, tried to install this version of of a winning culture as you see it. Um, was it different here? Oh no, not at all. Da 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 da. And it's like, I don't think Boudreaux looks at this team and thinks he can win big with it. I really don't. But he's never going to show us that. And I keep trying to poke at it and see if he'll let down the veil at all. And he won't. He won't. He believes in these guys in public anyway. 100%. And I think that's part of his, you know, overall positivity approach. But I don't think he's, you know, not wise to the significant flaws. I mean, just look at how he manages his D. Look at how how they stopped even trying to break out with control. They don't even they don't even try to it, without Quinn Hughes on the ice to possess the puck on the breakout. Oh, go win in the neutral zone forwards. Go go push the battle outside the line. I mean that that tells you everything. That tells you so much about what Boudreaux thinks of his defense score. He doesn't think they can transition the puck, so he doesn't even ask them to. You know, like that's that tells me more than anything he's ever going to say, but. I'm still going to try and get him to say it sometimes. (laughs) Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to continue the culture conversation and also talk a bit about Quinn Hughes and his record-breaking night. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, Drancer, where is this team culture-wise? Words aside, what needs to happen in the room to get them where they need to be to instill a level of belief that's sustainable like is it is it simply about um just wanting to win and having that mindset and you could see on the bench as Boudreaux talked about that you know players were are really upset when they lose they're not willing to accept it and take it anymore you know you just can't accept it you have to uh, hate to lose more than you want to win uh were some of the cliches that he dropped last night uh is has that mindset shifted or is there more to creating culture given where this team's room and, and roster is. So you, you mentioned cliches. We already talked about culture being like this buzzword. Can I, can I drop just a few other ones? There's a few other hockeyisms that I want to, that I want to quickly take aim at. Sure. Um, adversity. I hate adversity. Um, and, uh, and resilience. I hate adversity and resilience. Like 
having a bad road trip and then responding from it, that's not overcoming adversity. It's like, that's a bad day at work. You know, <laughs> you guys are professional athletes making millions of dollars. You know, you lose a few games and then you win a game. You, you haven't shown resilience. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah. That's a bad day at work. It's a bad day at the office. Like, it's not, it might not even be a bad day at the office, really. You, you might have played well. Um, that's just the nature of the game. There's a winner and there's a loser every game. It's not adversity to be on the wrong side of a couple outcomes, considering, you know, everything. Like, adversity and resilience come from real stuff, right? Like, real moments in life. That's not adversity. That's not resilience. And, and we use those terms to, like, create drama and hero narratives around me- mediocrity. And I hate it. it. bothers me. Here's the other one. You ever get fans in your mentions and they use the term the boys to discuss their favorite team? Oh, yeah. Anyone who ever uses the term the boys, like the boys are buzzing. <laughs> you will never get an insightful point after the words the boys from any fan ever. And I'm not saying those fans don't have good takes. I'm saying the take that comes after the boys is never a good one. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just how it works. Anyway, I wanted to take shots at that. What has to happen in the room? I'm not really sure because I'm not there enough. Like, I'm not there. I'm not around the way we would have been pre-pandemic. You know, I, I think the relationships are a little more arm's length, especially with this team, especially because I think this team is really leaned into getting away with doing as little media uh, as possible. Yeah. And, and you know what? That That is part of a, a problem. Uh, as I see it, and yes, we're biased. There's no question about it. However, um, understand what we came out of. If you're a, if you're a VIP and you're thinking, oh, you're you know media supporting media. No, no. When Henrik and Daniel ran that room, and they got it from Trevor Linden, and they got it from Marcus Nasland, um, or in the reverse order, but actually Trevor came twice. Um, there was a culture of accountability. And that mattered, right? There was a culture of accountability, which this team no longer possesses as it relates to being available to to fans and media. Now, there's going to be the media haters that, you know, view us as this awful entity and say, oh, I don't give a damn as long as they win games. And that's great. But sometimes you got to own your performance. And there are many forms of owning it. And that happens to be one in today's day and age. And And Daniel and Henrik stood in there. Gold standard. It was the goal every day, win or lose, and you know, and don't sit there and quibble with their performance. Didn't nope. affect their performance. Nope. Right? They owned it, and they made sure their teammates owned it, and nobody ran and hid. This yep. team runs and hides. 100%. Bo Horvat they- does not. JT Miller does not. Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes are okay, but there are others in that room that run away and hide, and it's bullshit. Yeah. And and I'm saying it, so again this isn't about the media. It's a culture of accountability that has completely gotten away from this organization. As you know, as was set by Henrik and Daniel, the gold standard. Your favorite well, Canucks VIPs, your <laughs> yeah. favorite Canucks set that standard. Now, we give them a small pass because the room isn't open. Curious to see what happens next year when the room is open again, if selected players continue to run away and hide because it's happening and it's not good. No. And I mean, it's, it's gotten a lot worse. 
I suspect that the organization bending over backwards to accommodate Hamannick had a had an impact too, right? If one 100%. guy never if one guy never talks, um, it's hard to make sure that everyone does. You know what I mean? Like if you start granting special accommodations, the concept of of a culture of accountability kind of kind of falls apart, right? Um, but look, here's my experience. Here's my experience professionally. I cut my teeth in Toronto, right? My first my first rooms that I worked were the Phil Kessel, Dion Phaneuf, Joffrey Lupo Leafs. And those guys were, you know, Lame. not 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 a ton different from what I what I sort my read on a lot of Canucks players in terms of you know their their overall availability. One other guy, by the way, who doesn't hide, I just want to add to the list is is Oliver Ekman Larson. I think he's done a really good job this year. Yeah, anyway. and Luke Shen always gets trotted out there. Yep. Right? Connor but, Garland. Yeah. So yeah, but, so it's it's not it's not, you know it's not it's all not, of them. No. But there are anyway, important players that do. Anyway, I remember the first time I started working the Canucks room. So I'd written about the Canucks for a long time, but I hadn't really covered them. I didn't really cover them with credentials until Sportsnet signed me up. I'd already been writing for the Canucks for like two and a half years by the time this happened. And I remember the first time I started working the Canucks room every day and watching Henrik and Daniel do it. And I was like, oh my God, like, oh, it's not like it is in Toronto every, everywhere. Like there is a different way of doing things. And I tried to bring that to, to Florida where, you know, there weren't a ton of media obligations and players wanted to avail themselves of the fact that there weren't a ton of independent media obligations. And, you know, what I'd always try to explain to them, and I hope it matters for them in the in the coming months, what I'd always try to explain to them is when you get to where you want to go, right? When you get to the Eastern Conference Final and the and the NHL NHL events starts to run your availabilities and it's all press conference style and, you know, there's 20 five cameras in your room right and you're playing the biggest fucking game of your life i remember i had this conversation with a panther star player who was like oh grumbling i was like do you want that to be a distraction because it's not going to be for the big market team on the other side of the rink they're going to be used to it like do you want that to be in the biggest games of your life a disadvantage or do you want to be used to it do you want to do you want to have you know have had me mimic it for years and years so that you're ready that's what I'm trying to do here. And so I think I got a lot of response and buy-in after I explained my approach that way, that like, hey, this is part of your job. But all of these habits matter. All of these small things matter, right? Like, you know, the jerseys and the fact that it's like planned and well-communicated and, and that the coaches aren't surprised to all of a sudden be in blacks and that the goalies have equipment that matches, you know, their, their, their stuff and also is broken in appropriately in the event that they have different equi- like all of this matters all of it matters it's small stuff but you do 20 small things right and you get a competitive advantage right like that's the efficiency contest league that the NHL is so you know i think those habits matter and seeing this slip has been really frustrating particularly because this organization has made guys available like they didn't used to let guys hide, right? Luongo spoke after the trade deadline, right? He said his contract sucks. Guys have been accountable. The, a big giveaway in a big game, guy was available. Kevin Bieksa, whoever. I don't want to, you know, <laughs> pinpoint Kevin Bieksa and say he had lots of giveaways in big games, but I'm just saying, like, those guys were available. They did it. They didn't always like it, but they did it. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I do think that I do think that there's some work to do there, but but fundamentally, I do think a lot of it comes from winning, right? Like a lot of it comes from winning. Now, this team's won a lot over the last fifty games, and it hasn't really changed the dynamic we're talking about. But you know, I do think I do think building a better team is sort of step one to changing any culture. And step two, I, I mean, I think if you could get in, you know, some older guys who've done it, who've got rings, uh, if you could find this core's answer to Sundin and Demetra, I think that would have a huge impact on what this club's able to accomplish. I, I, I don't know who that player is. I don't know if there's players that match that description, but guys who play at the top of the roster and won't tolerate the BS and have done it for years have the weight to tell guys, you know, to try and f- fix some of the some of the bad habits that I think have cropped in, in in terms of professional obligation over the course of the pandemic, over the course of you know wholesale organizational change. I mean, those are the types of players I'd be looking at. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's interesting to see what the pecking order is, right, in terms of what they prioritize, because there's so many practical and tangible elements to this as far as salary cap space and you know inefficiencies on deals that that becomes the priority moving out sometimes versus moving in right and the moving in piece is going to have to matter in a significant way because you've got to be so judicious with how you select based on not having the flexibility to do everything you want you know what i mean so it'll be interesting to see what and how they prioritize their acquisitions, not necessarily how they're able to move on because, you know, we know what that needs to look like, but who you target and how you fix that, right? And what you do to improve the people internally, right? Because there there has to be some level of internal improvement with a team that doesn't have the level of flexibility you'd like it to have, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, the, the carving out flexibility for me is kind of step one, right? Like they have to find ways to, maximize their overall flexibility and and that was a priority ahead of the deadline they did a little bit of it with um the hammock trade um you know probably probably a cultural improvement there too so you know they've started they've got some stuff done already but there's more to do on that front i mean clearly there's a ton of work to do in terms of clearing out cap space um you know and, and you have to be really careful about how you're navigating this over the next few years, right? I mean, not only not only is this team limited in terms of their flexibility for next season, but it's sort of a the way that all of these contracts are structured makes things tricky. I mean, Besser is up after this year. If you're keeping him, his cap hit's going to be higher. The next year, Bo Horvat and JT Miller are going to need raises. The next year, Elias Pettersson. The year after that, Elias Pettersson's going to need a raise. And you know, he's got a $9 million qualifying offer, roughly. It's like 8.8. And, and he's going to, you know, you're going to be eligible. He's going to be eligible to discuss an extension like the summer after Nathan McKinnon. <laughs> McKinnon's deal expires, right? I mean, there's going to be some new comparables in, in a world where the flat cap air is behind us that probably give him a fair bit of leverage, especially if he plays the way he did in the latter half of this season. So, you know, it's not just about cap space for next year it's also about overall cap positioning vis-a-vis this core and that stuff's not well set up it's not well sustained um you know we, we you think about all those teams that are spending like 40 million on four guys or five guys and it's like 
you're not far off from being in a position where you're paying 30 plus for your top four forwards, you know, even including Connor Garland on a value deal. And, and that becomes really tricky, really tricky, even with the cap going up. So, you know, finding ways to carve out cap flexibility to, to solve that issue. I think that's priority one this offseason. Uh, shocker that I think that, but I do think that. And I think the organization thinks that. Well, I don't so, like, again, it's, it's not a shock, but we're, we're having a, you know, this entire podcast has been dedicated to culture, right? Mm-hmm. So there are some tricky elements to that, right? Because do you view JT Miller as a culture piece? Do you view Brock Besser as a culture piece, right? And how does that impact the decisions you make on who to move on from? Do you, you know, and then and then what do you bring in, and how capable are you of bringing in culture pieces? Because you can't you can't completely prioritize that Tanner because Pearson, you still need Tyler Myers, right? You still, I mean, yeah, you, you still need guys who can play. Yeah, no, right? you're right. So, so so it's tricky. Um, we'll take one more quick break, and when we come back, we still want to get into Quinn Hughes a little bit. Um, somebody who el- who also talked about culture after the game. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So let's talk Quinn Hughes. And, you know, it, it meant a lot to him. You saw him in on the video that the club put out about the belt, right? And he got the belt. And, you know, first thing he said was, let's just win these two games, right? Like, let's just finish on the right note and let's win these two games. And he, and he talked about that post-game uh, in the press conference about, you know, he feels now that this is more of a winning culture and and those are the things that that he prioritizes. And he talked about the records. Now, look, the fact that at this stage in his career, he already holds the assist record and the points record, pretty damning indictment on the Canucks organization over 50 years, right? Like it's probably as, I think Jason Bruff pointed this out, it's as big a reason as any while the club's still sitting here without a cup. That They had one kind of window of a good defensive core Right back in the in the 2011 run with with uh, Ham Hughes and Bieksa and Edler and um, and Salo and Erhoff and you know like that was kind of their one group and other than that they've had like the odd good defenseman here and there they've not had an elite defenseman in this organization and the fact that this quickly in his career he's done it is a bit of an indictment but hey he's done it he's knocked it off and I think he's going to continue to elevate those numbers and standards for this organization on the ice, but it was, it was pretty clear that it didn't really matter a lot. And it, it, he wasn't faking it, that it was about the performance. It was about the wins. And he knew that he had to perform really well in order for them to achieve their team goals. And one would take care of the other. And that's kind of what you want, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I liked, I, I thought Hughes did a really good job in his availability and I liked his focus on, I'm, I care more about my 
two-way improvements this season than I do about the scoring record. Um, I thought that was great. I thought I think Quinn Hughes has matured a ton in terms of how he handles the press, of how conversational he can be. Um, you know, I thought he did a really good job stick handling those issues and, and speaking for the team following their their actual elimination, including noting that like we've known for a while. You know, this wasn't like a shock at this point. It was we knew it was unlikely, uh, but it still affected me. I was talking to Mizey about it at the you know TV timeouts, and yeah, I mean. I don't want to speak for everyone, but yeah, it was tough. Like it's, it is tough. Um, you know, I thought I thought everything. Quinn Hughes had all the right notes. I thought that was um, a really sharp availability from a, from a really smart young player. And and yeah, I loved the focus on the two way game. I thought that was perfect. That was exactly what you want to hear from from Quinn Hughes. And you know, I suspect we're going to see him continue to improve in that area especially as he bulks up just naturally into his mid-20s. And, you know, I I think you're going to see him work a ton on that shot, too. A hundred percent. I mean, you can hear Bruce Boudreaux was talking about the great players working on stuff that, um, you know, maybe they're not as good at. He was like, Quinn Hughes is a great passer and, and a great, you know, skater. But he's been working on the things. It's like, well, you didn't mention shot, right? Like, not hard to read between the lines of what Boudreaux would like Hughes to work on. I'd imagine they've discussed it. And, you know, I think Quinn's shot can play. I don't think it's a problem by any means. I still think he's one of the best um, power play quarterback defensemen in the league by a fair bit. Natural in that spot. But I'd, I'd bet that's, you know, I'd bet that's this summer's project. Yeah, and then last summer's project was clearly working on his defensive play, and and he talked about it at the preseason avail about how, yep. you know, his drills and and whole progression was set up for that, and it showed, right? I mean, for him to be where he was in the plus minus scale a year ago to where he is now, and and I know that that stat can certainly be flawed, but when you play as many minutes as he does, well, but he took his minus twenty four personally. That's I, I yeah, love and that's the point. Like, good, yeah, good. You know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, in my opinion. Like Quinn Hughes was a minus player in his rookie year and the Canucks outscored the opposition five on five with him on the ice. Right. I mean, one thing about Quinn Hughes is it's going to be hard to be a plus player when you're always out on the power play. Right. Where every shorthanded goal against means that you need a dash right now that he's playing penalty kill. At least he gets some freebies there. But he's also always going to be out with the net empty, which means if the goal goes in, he eats a meaningless dash. You know what I mean? So it's like it's harder for players who are deployed when you're trailing the way Hughes is to be plus players, which is one reason to look at five on five goal differential specifically, as opposed to the NHL's completely arbitrary plus minus stat, which for no reason at all combines game States Um, plus minus the worst stat, not period. But that doesn't mean that I don't love that Quinn Hughes took it personally. (laughs) I love that. I love everything about it. Yeah, no question. You know, and I, and I just think when you look at, the maturity side, which you touched on earlier, right? I mean, I was critical of the Canucks young players at the start of the season, right? And and my feeling was that over the last couple of years, the organization has tried to turn the team over to the young players and they weren't mature enough to handle it. Mm. And and I think I see such a growth in both Pedersen and Hughes, but especially Hughes, yeah. um, to show that he is ready for more, that he craves more. Right. And and I think in another year, you know, he can even take a bit of that leadership piece on. And when you're playing 25 minutes a night, you know, you kind of need to. Right. Well, and I think I think they should do this, by the way. I think I think it's, you know, 
I think you should find ways to get letters on their jerseys. I think you need to, you know, I come back to last summer, that, that quote last summer that Pedersen gave in Swedish media about, you know, wanting to play on a great team. And, you know, I think it's important that they understand that this team goes as far as they take it. You know, like, you're the reason this team will be great or not. Is yeah, 100%. something that I think it makes sense to have your young players bought into. And I sort of wonder if, you know, Miller and, and Oliver ekman Larson wearing A's at the start of the season, and this is not criticism of them, right? But is empowering the wrong people, right? And and I think ekman Larson's a leader. I think he's had a big voice behind the scenes. I think he's been everything you could have wanted from an older player um, or, or veteran player, Uh Aside, of course, from the commitment, the contractual commitment. <laughs> um, but, you know, like this is not criticism of him. It's not criticism of JT either. It's just that I think you need to challenge your young guys and empower, you know, like your best players to be the faces of this franchise. I, I think I think that's crucial. And I, I think that's they need to wear this like they need to wear this team's success or failure. In in a in a really meaningful way, I, I think that's another thing that this club probably needs to consider: is how do we turn this over? How do we turn this over? I mean, you know, Jim Benning would talk about wanting to turn the team over to the young guys, and maybe they weren't ready. Well, why weren't they given A's? Right? Like, why? I mean, why not make it official? Like, why not? You know, I mean, it it always seemed discordant. Uh, so you know, why why aren't they on late? When you're trying to win games, now they are right. Boudreaux's used them to close. I think that's a big difference. Um, he's used them to kill penalties. It had a huge impact on this team's penalty kill, right? I mean, there were good things done in that area by Boudreaux when he took over. But I do think taking it another step further and being really deliberate and thoughtful about how the club takes that next step next season. I mean, I think that's one of the challenges to navigate this offseason too. Couple of games left, um, meaningless games for sure. But uh, the club has made it clear: look, we want to win these games. We we don't want to get used to losing. Everything matters. Every win matters. Uh, finish over ninety points. They talked about. Um, you see anything different in terms of deployment, approach, any of that, other than the fact we might have to see Silovs in the final game because you don't want to have uh, Martin play back to back. I mean, I think you have to play Di Pietro against Edmonton. I don't. I don't want to see Spencer Martin. I want to see Spencer Martin have another strong game against a LA team that's not particularly dangerous or lethal in terms of their offensive production. And then I want to see them not use a guy who I think they need to play twenty-two to twenty-five games next year in in the game against McDavid. Now, McDavid probably sewed up the Hart Trophy win last night with a four-point night. So maybe the Oilers rest guys. And that changes things for you a little bit. But, you know, I, I do think, yeah, maybe, maybe you can even go Martin back to back if you really need to. But I, I, I think in the event that you're concerned at all about Martin playing three and four with the AHL playoffs looming, you know, I think uh, I think DiPietro is the guy. I don't think you throw Silovs into his first career start unless the Oilers are really resting guys. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how they navigate the goaltending side. Um, going to be hard to get Jack Rathbone up. I'd imagine... You know, like I think Brad Hunt the, was sick, you know, he could get sicker. That's true. And well, Lockwood was sick, too. So there's the two. Was it um, sickness or injury? Didn't they say he had an upper body? Uh Oh, right. Lockwood had an upper body. OK, but so you worry you about probably, for Abbotsford. You, you, you worry about that a bit for Abbotsford. Well, and they and they need, um, you know, they they need wins. So with. um, Yeah, with regards to 
the you know what i need to check i didn't check if uh abbotsford beat bakersfield last night yeah they did so they probably have sewn up uh home ice um but you know they still have a couple games remaining um you do still want to make sure you secure this uh secure home ice advantage uh because you know in the ahl it's all three home dates right you get three home dates for for um being in the top four in the pacific so that's a big swing in terms of the in terms of the overall, like in terms of what this team needs to do with regards to deployment, you know, I'd love to see Rathbone get a game just because I think it's nice to get a guy an NHL payday for a couple of days, totally, and agree. especially when he's played well. But I also see the logic of just leaving him and letting him cook. Um, you know, really, it would just be a gift to him. Maybe they get banged up enough that that they're able to shoehorn him into the lineup for one game before the end of the year. I'd certainly like to see it. Um, other than that, I don't know what else you do. If if Pod Cole, if the plan is still to send Pod Colson down, though, you know, do you do you consider putting him with his AHL line mates? Um, maybe, maybe, but I mean, there's not a lot. There's not a lot to audition, right? Like that's part of the issue. The Canucks just don't have a lot uh, that's not on their NHL roster already. No question. Yeah. It's so not a lot of decisions to make is the point. I mean, you know, you could you talk about the goaltending situation, maybe. Uh, maybe a, a Jack Rathbone if they can get him in, but that might be the extent of it. And you probably want to be a little more cautious with Lockwood at this stage because he he will matter to Abbotsford uh, as they get into the playoff sure run here. So I wouldn't I wouldn't want to push him uh, to return at this stage. You've got Patan here; you might as well use him. But um, yeah, certainly, uh, you know, I like you. I'm going to be very interested in what Abbotsford does down the stretch. But uh, tough way for them to see it end last night. But you knew the end was coming. It was just a matter of when and. Um, you know, now we know. Now we know they're they're out. But as far as you know, as far as what they've managed to do was a good run. And whether it was meaningful or meaningless, it was entertaining. And and I certainly enjoyed it. And it was a lot better to cover that than to cover a death march over four months of the season, which is where this looked like it was headed before the the coaching and managerial changes. Yeah. Well, now the thing to be careful about is just reading too much into it and assuming that it continues in perpetuity without significant improvement to the roster. And so long as we have that context, then I agree with you. It was fun. It was good. Yeah, um, totally agree. I, but uh, but I do think there's pitfalls that the club needs to avoid in terms of assuming that this is their new level particularly because you know Vegas is still Vegas isn't going to make the playoffs at this point but that's still a loaded team on true talent right it's not going to take a lot for them to bounce back next year LA looks like they're on the rise in in a meaningful way with a ton of young talent capable of potentially stepping up at any point right I, I mean if they have two of those forward prospects hit again next year the way that like Kalev and Dursey on the back end did um, you know, they're going to be really scary. And there's a lot of guys who could hit like that. Like is, you know, Brant Clark, um, Brock Faber. I mean, he's not turning pro next year, but he might be pro by the playoffs next season. Um, you know, they have a lot of chips that they can trade. Like LA, LA has basically performed in lockstep with the Canucks since the Boudreaux hire. Um, they have way more cap flexibility and, and, um, and they're going to be able to trade some of their like surplus RD, they have like five, six really good RD. When you think about Walker, Matt Roy, Sean Dursey, Helge Granz, and Brock Faber and Brant Clark, like that's six guys. Like you don't think they can improve their team massively using that surplus of highly valued, uh, right-handed shooting defense prospects. Like, of course they can. Um, 
that's going to be a, a monster team to contend with next year. We know that Calgary is probably going to take a bit of a step back with some of their contractual issues. As is Minnesota. Uh, jo- Johnny Gaudreau. Well, yeah, but that's that's an outside the Pacific. But, but no, no, Johnny but they Gaudreau, still, they're still potentially competing with that team for playoffs. Sure, but those teams are also 100-plus point teams. I mean, those teams are going to finish 15 to 20 points better than Vancouver. Like, that's a big gap to close, even if, you know, worst-case scenario happens. In, in both instances in terms of what they have to do to, to make the math, the cap math work. And then Edmonton's still going to have McDavid and Dreisaitl and is still just like a goalie and another good defenseman away from being an absolute buzzsaw. In fact, they might already be an absolute buzzsaw under Woodcroft. So, you know, like that's four teams right there that you have to close the gap with in the, in the short term. And then long term, you have to be mindful of L.A. and you have to be mindful of Anaheim. And, you know, this team doesn't have a lot coming. Their players are also going to be getting more expensive over the next two, three years. I mean, there's a lot of work to do. This is not it's not enough to, you know, winning is not a passive activity in the NHL. Period. Well, first order of business, uh, get the coach extended. Second order yep. of business, make sure your team never goes to Circa when you're in Vegas. So uh, <laughs> At least not for dinner. No, thanks for that, Drew. Answer. Listen, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, if you're looking for other pod options, Troy Terry of the Anaheim Ducks joins Craig Custance and Sean Gentile on the Athletic Hockey Show USA on Tuesday. Meanwhile, former NHLer Scott Mellenby joins Mike Russo on Straight From the Source. As for us, thanks for listening to the VanCast. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform, don't forget to leave a rating and a review. And right now you can get annual subscriptions to The Athletic for just a dollar a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast. We will be back next week, post-season, likely post, post-mortem, when we hear what they have to say as the year wraps up. And um, we didn't even get your, your top pick in the NFL draft because I'm sure you're going to be betting on it. Uh, I had Walker before the odds flipped in his favor. I don't know who you've got. Good for you. Good for you. I had I had uh, a Quanu, but I cashed it after his big run at the combine for for profit. And I no longer hold an NFL draft future of any kind. I might right. I might place one though. Well, I'm looking forward to the festivities here this weekend and back on hockey next week uh, for Drancer. I'm far. I think it's assured that Willis is the first QB off the board. I'm I'm sort of wondering about I've, I've uh, pick I've picked Pickett. Yeah, I will. So Pickett's plus money right now. So I the may, only I may with, do the that. The only problem with Pickett is Carolina might need to trade that pick because they don't have another pick until the fourth round, right? So if they do it to acquire more draft capital, but I think if they pick him, even though they have big old line needs, he's more ready now, and they need a guy that can play now. And I don't think Malik Willis is ever going to be a good quarterback in this league. Really, really, I'm very, very uh, bearish on Malik Willis. Boomer bust. He's going to bust, in my opinion. Um, but interesting. Uh, there you go. Should That's be fun. A little bit of, little bit of football Enjoy. nugget as we wrap it up. Thanks for listening to all the VIPs. We'll be back next week.